You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now, something that happened at the Battle of Uhud, which shows us the spiritual strength of the Muslims and how they did not allow the pagans to demoralize them, not those who fled, but those who stayed firm. We find that when Abu Sufyan and Ikrama, these leaders of the pagans, when they saw that the battle was tipping in their favor, and they basically became victorious after they defeated the Muslims and they killed 70 of them. Abu Sufyan, to give the impression that their religion of paganism and shirk is superior and that their idols helped, helped them, he began to say in the battlefield, Hubal was an idol that the pagans worshipped and in fact he was carrying an idol in his hand. And he was trying to tell the Muslims, see, our idols in the end helped us. We won this battle. You may have won bad, but we won Uhud. So Hubal should rise. Our idols should rise. Now that statement, when it's said to some shallow-minded Muslims, it could actually impact them. They did have some doubts. You know, what's going on here? But the Prophet was very quick to reply to him. Even though he sustained wounds and he was in a very difficult position, but the Prophet, you know, basically stopped whatever he was doing and he said, Allahu a'la wa ajal. Allah is higher and he's more exalted. Don't compare your idols to Allah. Suddenly, Abu Sufyan saw the Muslims with full energy saying, Allahu a'la wa ajal. You see how the Prophet trained Muslims even in those sensitive moments, they're getting killed. But not to forget that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with them. And if they're suffering a loss, it's because they disobeyed Allah by disobeying the Prophet Otherwise Allah did not let them down. Then Abu Sufyan, he kept mentioning the other idols. We have Uzzah and you Muslims don't have Uzzah. The Prophet responded to him and he said, we have Allah as our Mawla. And you don't have Allah as your Mawla, as your guardian and protector. So whatever Abu Sufyan would say, to demoralize those Muslims, the Prophet was quickly to you know, respond to him and to psychologically strengthen the Muslims. And then the last thing that Abu Sufyan said, he said, okay, you won at Badr, now we're equal. So you're not any superior to us. Didn't Muhammad claim that you Muslims will get victory from God if you worship God? Okay, you guys killed us at Badr, we now killed you at Uhud, so we're the same. Quickly the Prophet taught the Muslims what to say. They, they told him, no Abu Sufyan, there's a big difference. Our casualties, our victims who died today are in paradise, whereas your qatla, your casualties are in hell. So there's no way that you can compare us and them. When Abu Sufyan saw that the Muslims had a response to everything he was saying, he just stopped. He's like, you know what, forget this. Let me go back to Mecca, I'll meet you next year. Our appointment is next year, I'm going to come and fight you. 
So we see how the Prophet really lifted the morale and he uplifted the spirit of the Muslims in those very uh, difficult moments. Now the Muslims after the battle was over, they arrived in the battlefield along with the Prophet to bury their dead. When the Prophet's eyes fell on the mutilated body of Hamza, he was overcome with extreme anger. Okay, you killed him, but now you mutilate him like that. All of his fingers were cut, his stomach was slashed, his liver was chewed by hand. This was something that really angered the Prophet. You know, how vicious can you pagans be? How vicious can a woman be? Imagine. How vicious can she be for her to do something like that in the battlefield? Now some narrations indicate that the Prophet and the Muslims, one hadith says Muslims, one hadith says the Prophet, maybe collectively this happened. The Prophet became so angry, he said, if I am given victory, will have their bodies mutilated just like they mutilated our bodies because every Muslim body in the battlefield was mutilated. The Prophet said we'll do more and remember they deserved it because they were the aggressors. Allah reveals a verse in the Holy Quran, Surah An-Nahl verse 126. In this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the Prophet and the Muslims and Allah says no, if you want retaliation, if you want to give them iqab retaliation, then basically you give them equal to what they did or it's better to pardon them. It's better not to retaliate. So if the Prophet said for every Muslim 30 of them I'm go we're going to mutilate, the Quran said no. Either you retaliate exactly what they did to you, you do to them, not more, or you pardon them. When this verse was revealed, the Prophet said no, we pardon them, we're not going to mutilate anyone. Question here, do you think it's compatible with the akhlaq and the manner of the Prophet to make such an oath no. or to make such a statement that if I'm given victory for every Muslim killed and mutilated will have 30 of their people mutilated. And furthermore, Prophet doesn't say anything except what Allah tells him. So that and the Prophet doesn't say except that which Allah tells him. So how do we feel about this? Yes, brother. It's yeah, it's problematic, right? I mean, I'd say uh, like yeah, it is problematic, but I mean, it could be an example for people today that with their barbaric uh, mindset. That's a very good point. So I have two observations here. Either we say if we could not find a justification for it that's compatible with the akhlaq of the prophet, we say, you know, we never we don't know if this is a an authentic hadith if the prophet really did this, if it violates the spirit of Quran. We don't take any hadith or any incident that violates the words of God. You are of the utmost highest character. Or everything that you say is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the first observation. Secondly, maybe we can find a justification for what the Prophet said. Maybe when the Prophet said that, he was representing and expressing the Muslim sentiment. Meaning the Muslims were so angry, they were determined to do this. But the Prophet knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to teach them in the Quran to be patient. So he wanted every Muslim in history to remember that moment when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked the Prophet and Muslims 
to pardon them and not to retaliate more. Because it's more effective that way. See, sometimes the Prophet could stand and lecture them and say, you know, you should not retaliate. Maybe it's not that effective because people when they're angry after war, they don't want to be lectured, right? In fact, they'll get offended. You know, look at our bodies, they're being mutilated and you want us to forgive them? Maybe that was not too effective. But if the Prophet expresses their anger and he says what what was in their mind, then Allah reveals a verse in the Quran asking the Prophet and Muslims to be patient and to pardon. And then the Prophet says, yes, let's pardon. It's more effective that way. And people will remember it in history in a more vivid and striking way. So if we accept the second analysis, fine. We can accept it if we don't find anything troubling or problematic. Otherwise, if we believe that, you know, this violates the spirit of the Quran, then we can just disregard this hadith that says this. But it has come in a number of sources. So how do you feel about the second observation? That the Prophet was playing along to teach the Muslims, to teach them how to restrain themselves. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Let's say you are followers of a leader. Let's say we're sitting here in this room, you have a leader here, you're following them. Somebody comes in and he insults all of us, harasses us, does whatever to really, you know, humiliate us. Now let's say the leader is sitting there and all of you are angry and you want to take some action, right? You're furious, your dignity was violated, you were harassed. And the leader is sitting there, he's smiling. Ah, mashallah, please be forgiving. You will not take that well. You will see, you know what? This leader is not understanding what we're going through. And it won't be that effective in making us settle down. But let's say if the leader expresses anger too, and you see his face becoming red, and he's expressing the mood and the attitude in the room, then let's say the Holy Quran is in front of him and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I, I just read this verse in the Quran and he calms down in front of him. He's like, you know guys, let's, let's be patient. Let's not go and harass. Which one's more effective? Which one do you think is more effective? If the leader from the beginning, he's sitting there calm, smiling. <laughs> or no, initially he does get angry. But then he calms down. Remember, when he got angry, he didn't do anything haram. We're not saying that something wrong happened. Remember, nothing happened. He just got angry. He was like, okay, you know, I just remembered this verse in the Quran. Let's, let's calm down. Which one would be more effective in restraining his followers? What do you say? I think it is, but with the problem, <laughs> two different levels in there. There's just no way. Question, those pagans who did this act, didn't they deserve to be killed and mutilated? Probably, but not in the earth. See, let's go by the, by the rules of engagement at the time. We're peaceful people, we're not harassing you. You guys come to Uhud, you harass us. And we have a great leader like Hamza, you mutilate his body and you make necklaces out of his body. See, this is an insult on the Muslim Ummah. So if we... Remember, the Prophet's not saying everyone, those combatants, the soldiers who are coming here to fight us. If we get a hold of them, we'll also cut their limbs. Is that wrong to begin with? 
to begin with is that unfair? When your enemy is saying, I will do this to you. Why is it wrong to treat them in the similar way when they're the aggressors? So the question is, is it wrong to do that? See, that's another issue. Let's first of all say if it's right or wrong. Because see, the Prophet doesn't say anything wrong. No, no, no. Regardless of whether it's a Prophet, we're talking about justice. Is this unjust? Is it aggression? Injustice or no? It's, it's, in, it's, it's within the limits of justice. Which is it? What do you think? Let's not talk about the Prophet now. Let's talk about it being just or unjust. See, let me, let me give you an example. You're sitting here peacefully. Peacefully, peacefully. Someone comes, an aggressor. He has a knife in his hand. He's like, you know what? I'm going to come and cut your finger. No, you don't have the right. Why? No, I'm going to cut it anyways. I don't care. You tell him, look, if you cut my finger, I'll cut, I'll cut 10 of your fingers. Is that wrong? 10, yeah. Is it unjust? Well, he's the aggressor. He's the aggressor. He took one. He took one. A sin of one. Not a sin We're not saying what's the best thing to do, but is it wrong to make this? See, if someone says. Warning statement. The statement is not wrong. Maybe. See, if someone, if the government says if you steal a thousand dollars, we'll confiscate a hundred thousand dollars from your money. Is that wrong? No. no. It's not wrong. No, the statement, I'm, the statement is not wrong, but the action is. There's a big difference. No, the action. The action itself, I'm talking about, not about the statement, the action, is it wrong? Yes. Why is it wrong when he's the uh, transgressor? Because you're doing more than what he did to you. Well, what did you say the prophet? But he deserves it for his aggression. It's he look, he's not. No, they definitely deserved it, brother. Oh. When they come for no reason, they want to kill innocent people. They want to kill the prophet. They want to kill Muslims, and they mutilate them in that way. They have no respect for humanity, no regard for anything. Why should they be respected? The one who doesn't respect himself and others, and he doesn't respect human life, and he doesn't respect dead bodies, why should he be respected? That's not a problem. You lose the respect. No, that's not a problem. The problem is when you add 10, that's no, a problem. No, saying, but they all deserved it because those 10 are active fighters. Those 10 are actively trying to kill you. It's not that they're good people, no. These people are evil, they have blood on their hands, and if they can, they will slaughter all the Muslims and cut them to pieces. They have that niyyah, and you know that. If they can, they will. So if you're able to do that, why is it wrong? In any case, if you believe it's wrong, or the scholars believe it's wrong, then the Prophet would not do something wrong, we just disregard this. But one analysis is, it's not unjust to do that to them. They deserve this because of their aggression and they had made it clear that any Muslim body we get our hands on will do the same. They're already declaring that, so they should not be respected, meaning they don't deserve to be respected. Having said that, if we say it's not wrong, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Prophet is teaching Muslims, but you take the higher road. That's right. But the Prophet was basically teaching them. In any case, we have these sources, we have different analysis here. Whether we accept it or not depends on whether it's a violation of the spirit of Quran or not. Yes. 
yeah, say like you also have to, I mean, like you're saying, you have to look at the context of who they're fighting. It's not just like a guy with a sword or nothing. Like these guys are coming not only to kill you, but they want to do more after you. Oh yeah, they've said they will do everything they can. They've already said that, they're not repenting, they're not showing that they're regretful. No, they're still saying we'll do more. So, in any case, we do have these, you know, historical accounts. Now Safiya, the sister of Hamza, the uncle of the, the aunt of the Prophet she insisted on seeing the body of Hamza. The Prophet said to her son Zubair, no, don't bring your mother here. She's going to see Hamza in that state. This could make her collapse and God forbid, maybe she'll object to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't put her in that situation. So Zubair, he talked to his mother Safiya. He told her mother, you know, the Prophet's advice is not to walk past the body of Hamza. It's not, an, it's not a good scene, it's too emotional and it could psychologically damage you. It's better for you not to see the body. Historical records say she insisted. She said, no, I really want to see him. And I promise I will be firm. I will not object to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I will not be impatient. I am patient, so please let me. So because she insisted, finally Zubair, he took her to the body of Hamza and historical records that we have do state that she was patient and she, you know, kind of said inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un and she prayed for Hamza. But subhanAllah, look at the gentle heart of the Prophet. He did not want his aunt to see the mutilated body of Hamza because he knows that any woman who would see that, she would be heartbroken. This is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa who was concerned about his family, about his own aunt, about any Muslim woman not being in that position. But what did this ummah do to his own granddaughter Zainab When they purposely took the woman after Karbala on the day of Ashura to see the, the bodies of those who had been martyred. How can those people claim to be Muslims following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa